Women have always been a force for peace, but their contributions have mostly remained unrecognized and unsupported. The UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on Women, Peace and Security set out to change that. Nearly 20 years after its adoption, where are we now? What is the future of Women, Peace and Security? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone tuning in, and welcome to GNWP Talks podcast. Today, I'm joined by Risikat Toyin Mohamed and Constance Onyemechi, two women disability advocates in Nigeria. Risikat and Constance, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, thank you for having us. In this episode, we will be talking about the connections between experiences of disability and gender, as well as how these experiences enhance or hinder activists in the fight for disability rights, women's rights, and systemic change. To begin, my first question to you both is, what kind of discrimination do people with disabilities face within your community, and how does that discrimination disproportionately impact women and girls? Okay, so um, my name is Constance Onyemechi, and uh, I'm a disability rights advocate. I advocate for the rights of women and girls with disabilities in my community. So the kind of discrimination we face here in our community, we face harassment and uh, victimization. Now, in the society where we live in, persons with disabilities are not regarded. I don't know if that's the right word. I don't want to um, ruffle any feathers, but we are not regarded as humans. We're treated as um less humans and so if we go through harassment as a person with albinism i have faced harassment because of my albinism you know people tend to oh i get on a bus and someone says no i can't sit close to her because she's a person with um, albinism and she might uh, i might contract her disease because that's what they see persons with disabilities as carriers of diseases, carriers of sicknesses. So at that point, I felt bad. And most persons with um, disabilities have faced um, some sort of violence because of their um, disability. And when they make reports, they're not giving proper attention. Rather, people say, oh, you're not even happy a man touched you. You're not happy this happened, you know. They don't care to know your your decision about such things because they don't see you as a human being. So we are victimized and we are harassed because of our disability. So I'll allow Ms. Toyin to speak. Thank you. Thank you, Custom. As a person with disability, a woman with disability, apart from being a woman with disability or also being a woman, we face a lot of challenges, especially when growing up. A lot of stigmatization, family uh, bullying, then community isolation. You know, the community tried to label uh, disability as a kind of uh, another contagious disease. Or coming from my own community, I'm Yoruba, I come from Yoruba land. Sometimes you see they associating it with you. 
so it is very very terrible because commit society stigmatized and also stigmatized a mother of a child with disability and growing up also it has also affected it's if so if a, if a girl with disability is in a society whereby for example in the north where they see a disability as a source of income which they try the superior try to exploit it by using that child with disability for street begging and they hide under the issues of as religion contest contest and being a muslim there are a lot of things which it seriously affects um the way it's creates a stigma on its own because it affects your association with people and culturally they label you as a witch or a contagious disease a pregnant woman running away from you it apart from that it also leads to isolation because sometimes the parents try to isolate themselves from a child with disability thank you so much for your response so my next question is what are the greatest barriers to accessibility and equality that you have experienced in your life as well as in your advocacy work and how has your disability and your gender informed how you then approach creating change um as a physically challenged one of uh, there are a lot of challenges affecting physically challenged especially when you're talking about accessibility um starting from schools it is very challenging because the nigeria when you look at nigeria's structure it is not disability friendly and as an advocate of uh, gender and inclusion um it was uh, that was one of the things that brought my uh, passion into disability advocate because going to school was not uh, so has never been easy for me because um, the from primary school to secondary school was so challenging, especially talking about the structure, the way the classes were built, and going to toilets as a community, as a person with disability, which sometimes you find yourself covered in lots of texting and thinking things, and at the end, the children start laughing at you, bullying you. It's, it's a very bad and sad experience. And when you get after secondary and primary school, thinking that things will change when you get to higher institution, and where that is one of the highest and very, very challenging time of life because you can see the lecturer don't even understand your condition, not ready to understand. The curriculum is not designed in such way to look at your your disability condition. For example, let's assume the, because my first course is um, a certificate in a, a textile tech. And I, sometimes I go to uh, lab almost three times before it was one of the things that was so tedious and very challenging for me to, before I'll get to lab, the other children must have finished in the lab and they are back in class. It was so challenging. And then I have to change my course to accounting. And at the end in the accounting department too, sometimes the lecturer will change. They have to change the test room 
and the distance is very, very, very challenging. And by the time I get back to law, the class are almost, the test is almost over. So I have to rush to pass to write my own. And looking at the stress of fiscally challenge you go through to get to such places. And lecturer don't even give any special consideration look, uh, to, a person, to me as a fiscally challenge. And it has led to some of the, uh, my course that having fiscally challenge there. Some dropped out because it was so challenging and it's, they can't stand it. And you can see it's, it's one, the, the, there was a day I felt, and that was when I started looking, are we different? Why, are we, why am I going through this? Can't government provide something to make it easier? So that's what prompts my passion and change my view. And also, and it's not it's a good, partially good experience because at least we are educated, but when you look at the challenges as a fiscally challenge, the distance, the uh, curriculum design, the, the, the lecturer behavior, the community as a whole, how they look at the persons with disability with pity, not empathy, and not trying to understand that person's condition. And the structure, apart from structure, the community is not designed in such a way that you as a female child, a woman with disability, can use. And it's just like a public toilet. And you can see, coming from a disability context, you can see it's very, very challenging. And I can say it's not something I really wish for other people deserve a fiscally challenge to go through. And some, and apart from that, there is the issue of security. When class, class will close 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, getting transport back home and they getting almost into a lot of risks now. So I look at it and it has even, it gives me my experience in schools. Is one of the things that helps in my advocate and put bringing change into education policy. Uh, alhamdulillah, I was a member of Kaduna State Inclusive Education Committee in 2013, which gave birth to Kaduna State Inclusive Education Policy. And I believed with my experience, Day, coming, finishing from school and becoming an advocate, we're able to make a change there, getting a policy. And uh, from that time, I've been making a lot of things. We advocate for Kaduna State uh, inclusive policy and inclusive, inclusive uh, budgeting on HIV. Because we during the HIV, uh, that's 2014, there was no much focus on disability and HIV and HIV program. So we're able to influence a lot of things. And uh, I think. Yeah, my experience in life has made a great impact in a great impact in broadening my view on inclusion. Thank you. Thank you, um, Ms. Toyin. So, um, from my own point of view, yes, she has uh, mentioned quite a few, but I would also say um, information and communication is actually a barrier, a lack of. Um, information and communication in accessible formats. 
So um, most persons with disabilities cannot access information in accessible formats. For example, a blind person, if it's not, if the information is not put in braille, the blind person is left out from whatever information that is being passed across. Also, same thing applies to a deaf person. If there's no sign language interpreter, that person is left out. Same for persons with albinism. Now, for example, I go somewhere to look for someone or to access a building, and I'm looking for a particular office. But because the fonts are not written in, they are not bold fonts, I can't actually read what is written or pasted on the wall. So there are no proper signages to even direct me to where I'm going to. So these um, access to information and communication is problem. Secondly, attitudinal um, barriers. The attitude of people towards persons with disabilities is not encouraging, you know, because they tend to try to withdraw themselves from being close to persons with disabilities and they don't even understand the issues surrounding disabilities and they don't care to know. So the attitude of people is also a barrier. If the anxiety is quite welcoming for persons with disabilities, this barrier will be um, drastically reduced. We also have structures. She, she talked about structure, physical infrastructure, where there are no signages, there are no, for persons with albinism, even when there are steps for us to climb, there are stairs. And so um, different color coding should be put in place for, for persons with albinism to be able to access physical structures. Because when the stairs are the same color, most times I've, I've fallen down a step because I couldn't find out where one starts and where the other one ends. And also when it comes to structure, there are some buildings that have glass doors. So we tend not to know where the, the door is. So sometimes we end up bumping straight into that door. And that's a very big problem. And that makes the situation for that person at that time very, very awkward. Now, as a person um, who has been into inclusion works for persons with uh, disabilities, I've tried as much as possible to participate in discussions. Like we have the, um, the Discrimination Against Persons with Disabilities Prohibition Act 2018. And the sectors, the sections of the act also stipulate certain things that people should do for persons with disabilities, what is expected of the government, what is expected of the persons with disabilities themselves, and also penalties are also stated in that uh, act. So we've tried as much as possible to simplify the act because it contains a lot of um, lawyer legal legal jargon so we've tried as much as possible to simplify the act so that it can be easily understood even to for a lay person someone who is not learned and there are also pictures to also explain pictorial explanation so we've tried as much to simplify the act and also put down what the act contains we've also come together to put together a guidance note on the implementation of some sections of the act, because most um, MDAs, they tell us, okay, fine, we now know the contents of the act, but how do we go about implementing what is in the act? So we, we, we tried to put together a guidance note that can guide them into um, how, directing them on how they 
can implement the uh, the act, the sections of the act, and I will also try as much as possible to educate persons with disabilities on their rights, and not only on their rights, but their responsibilities as well. Because there are some sections of the act that says that persons with disabilities should not be seen as beggars on the road. For example, if um, let's say I, I, I as a person with disability, someone else tends to lead me and use me as a beggar then that is not allowed. So in the, the act condemns it. So the, the responsibility is not solely on the institution, on MDAs, but uh, persons with disabilities also have roles to play. So we try as much as possible to enlighten them and let them know that you know, irrespective of what um, the act says, you also have a role to play. So try to advocate for the rights of persons with disabilities uh, at some levels and also enlighten persons with disabilities on what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Thank you. Thank you. Riska, did you want to say something else? To talk about how access to information, apart from just like what she just said, that access to information is one of the challenges in the barrier. Uh, that is affecting women with disability. The access we're talking about, we're talking about health, looking at the health sector, how access to information and also access to uh, services can has been very challenging to the women, especially women with disability, uh, especially the hearing impaired, because we have language barrier under the, in the health sectors, and it is very, very challenging. And apart from that, like what she said about begging, although the constitution says um, the, that the duty of a person with disability, what is expected of persons with disability. But when you look at the northern, northern scenario of Nigeria, whereby a child with disability starts being used, uh, starts being a street beggar at the early age of three, uh, four, five, six, seven, when that child was supposed to be used. Um, then that at that point, the child does not even uh, knows what what is or a right is, and it has been very very challenging. Uh, all, apart from that, we also have the um, government policies and programs. Although we have the disability B, and it has been very very um, and encouraging, but we still have some government policies are not as inclusive as it should be, which we have been advocating for. Um, currently, we are carrying and we are about carrying out a survey to look at our government programs as impacting in the lives of persons with disability. Uh, despite the law that has been enacted as a disability law, but we know there are some challenges, the report, the inclusivity, the, uh, the enrollments of persons with disability in government programs are one of the challenges. And what we also understand is that knowledge on disability is an issue on its own. Knowledge of disability. I, we, my organization has been tried to train government workers in understanding issues of disability because it's a barrier to go up to uh, probe to programming and programming on disability. Sometimes people tend to know more about disability, believe 
they know and it has been affecting programs. So we try to let them understand what disability is, what they need to do, how they need to work with persons with disabilities. That's etiquette of working with persons with disabilities, which is very mandatory for all government persons on the time and not see a person with disabilities as a challenge or seeing them as a challenge in working with them. And apart from that, there is also a need for, because we are building leadership capacity of women and girls with disabilities on leadership role and decision making. Because that's one of the challenges. When, because we are advocating for participation, not representation. We, most of the time, government, when issues of persons with disabilities are at the table, government tends to look at representation that is looking for some, an able body that has information or be working that has been uh, someone that is always associated as being representing persons with disabilities at the table. So we, what we are advocating for now is that there is a need for more participation, not representation. A commissioner or minister of persons on issues of persons with disabilities should not be at, be at the table defending issues of persons with disabilities. The pers- persons with disabilities should be the one advocating, participating on issues, and, uh, participating on the table on issues affecting them. Because there's uh, a that said, there's nothing for us to tackle. So I think that is some uh, that has been what we have been working on in Kaduna's and it has been bringing a lot of changes. Thank you. Okay, so let me add to uh, what she said. Like in the FCT here, uh, Abuja. On because we realize that yes, women with disabilities um, go through a lot when it comes to assessing healthcare services. So what we've been doing is we may put ourselves into groups representing the different clusters of disabilities. Like we have the blind, we have the deaf, we have persons with albinism, we have those who are physically challenged in that group. So we've been going to help management board to advocate for inclusive healthcare for persons with disabilities. Like for example, we've been demanding, okay, we need a dermatologist in the public hospitals, in the government hospitals, because there are people who need them, persons with albinism. We need them low beds for for women who are about to put to bed, for them to be able to, you know, climb the bed, those who are physically challenged. So we've been asking them, and we've been working hand in hand with them to guiding them on things that we need because, um, like it said, there is nothing about us without us. So uh, we ensure that they don't make decisions for us, but we get to make decisions. And um, the deaf community have been able to put up a glossary a glossary and shared it to uh, different hospitals in the FCT here for the health personnel to learn basic sign language so that when a deaf woman comes into the hospital, she can assess healthcare. And they've also gone ahead to train some nurses because of, uh, they trained some nurses on basic sign language skills. Now, why they did that is because of when you go to the hospital and you want to interact with the doctor, it's supposed to be confidential. Now, having your aide go in with you does not um, speak confidentiality because your aide might go out there and you know begin to tell people. 
So they decided to train the nurses that when they go into the hospital, they are able to get that confidentiality that they seek. You know, so and the, the Commission for Persons with Disabilities uh, was established, has been established, and it's running. And also, they're they are actually doing a great work, you know, because the executive, uh, the executive secretary is actually a person with disability. He's, he's deaf. So he, he actually listens to uh, persons with disabilities. We collaborate with him on programs. He listens to us and takes it further by engaging those relevant stakeholders and letting them know uh, what our issues are and how they can be solved. So I and my organization, we collaborate with the commission to foster this engagement and also inclusion. So yeah, I think um, we're not where we, we want to be yet, but we are not where we were before. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's actually a perfect segue into my next question. Both of you, you know, have spoken about these places that have still a lot of progress needed for accessibility, and you've touched a bit on this, but over the time that you have both been advocates, how have you seen much progress in accessibility um, and in, you know, attitudes in society? Are you encouraged or discouraged by you know, how things are changing and the way that you're able to achieve progress. Okay, so uh, let me go. My, and, you know, we can't just um, let it go like that. We, advocacy is like a continuous thing. We have to keep talking and talking and talking. And then the change we want will not come immediately. We might not actually see the total change in our lifetime, but there are changes going on right now when it comes to structures. I've been to some hospitals and yes, I've seen some some things they're trying to do, like some try to put ramps. No, they're not doing it well, but they're trying to, they are putting in the effort and that means they are actually listening to us. But most times the problem I have is they go and place the ramp at the back of the building. And that's something we're trying to stop because we're trying to let them know where the stairs are is where a ramp should be. A ramp should be beside the stairs, not behind the building. So yes, we are making progress do at a slow pace, I must confess, but then progress is progress and I am, I am impressed and then we'll keep um, working towards ensuring that it continues. Thank you. Um, um, based on what she said, yes, there's change. Actually, there's lots, the behavior change. Um, the behaviors are changing positively, but I think um, when you're looking at behavior change, to me, I'll categorize it three in a three stage. When we look at the national, at the national level, which is the central area, I think there's at least um, the changes there, we, we can give it a uh, mark. I can say it's around 50. When you go to state level, it's getting at 30. Then much work of the area change is at the local community, at the local and the rural community, where a child with disability is still being stigmatized. A child with disability is being and now are facing a lot of challenges, both culturally and 
Indian traditionally the Muslim religion, some up to now in some community, a child with disability, especially children with multiple disabilities, are abandoned as seen as an animal and they are seen as something we should need to abandon by the street to go back to the world they came from. And these things, this shows us that yes, we are trying, but we have not gotten there. Because the challenges of the uh, virtual uh, attitude has not changed. And where the children with disabilities are facing much challenges now is at the local area, that's at the community, rural community, the hard to reach community. And where the information, we are, I think what's telling us is that we are, the information is not getting across to them. And yes, in the central area, Yes, I think there is much impact there. And at the state level, some side, yes, we have at least like 30, we can score them 20 to 30, 25%. But at the rural communities, the rural local government side, the rural, where the challenges are, I think we can only score them 5 or 2%. Because children with, children with disabilities are facing high discrimination, high stigmatization. They are facing lots of barriers, barriers to health, barriers barrier to assessing health or education at the rural area. Thank you. Thank you so much. So my next question is, how has your experience uh, positively impacted who you are? Um, Has it made you a better ally to those with other marginalized identities? Okay, so um, my experience, how it has positively impacted who I am. Person with albinism. Growing up, I didn't know what albinism was all about, but I knew that I couldn't see. I knew that as a child. It, was, it wasn't It was easy for me. It wasn't easy for my parents to access that. Just took my parents' time. From primary school, I got to the junior secondary school, and that was when my dad decided to take me out to get my eyes tested. And the first day I wore my glass, I was very happy. I felt like I could see the whole world. And this is what I've been missing. And then I began to think, if I could go through this, what are other persons with albinism going through? I got curious. I got into the university and I faced lots of discrimination. In the university, where people are meant to know better, but I was experienced, built me to the point where I am now. It impacted me positively because I started to think. I started to think of ways to make things better for persons with albinism. Because then I didn't even know there was anything called disability. I just knew, yeah, I was different. So my experience started charging me up, making me think, how can I make things better for those who, those persons with albinism who will definitely go through what I, I, I went through? But how can I make them not go through what I went through? So I decided to, you know, start talking to people. I became curious. I started reading. And by reading, I got exposed to a lot of things. I started associating. I I got talking with people. I realized I wasn't, persons with albinism weren't the only one going through this same thing. I began to associate with others. So positively, my experience made me think not just think of problems, not just think of barriers, but think of solutions. 
because barriers will always be there. There'll be, even when the old ones are being eradicated, new ones will still come up with a new name. But as I thinking, how, how can I bring solution to these existing barriers? What can I do? Now, it, it, the, the positive experience gave me a sense of responsibility not just for myself. I wasn't thinking about myself alone. I was thinking about other persons with albinism and other persons with disabilities at the same time. Because I realized that we, we face this um, inequality and discrimination at different levels. We face these barriers at different levels and our needs are different. So how do we um, break this? How do we break out of this instead of just pointing at only the barriers. So I, I came up with talking to my friends and I started going to schools. Whenever I see a child with albinism in school, I begin to educate the, the teachers. Okay, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is how to treat a child with albinism. This is how I became passionate because I, I, didn't, I wasn't looking at myself anymore, but I was thinking about others. And it has made me a better ally to others with marginalized identities. Like um, the person I work for, or I'm a, I'm a volunteer for, is a lady on wheel. My bosses are persons with disabilities. To create with them, that when I'm even speaking for one cluster, I begin to speak for the other cluster, and like that. So uh, it fostered the spirit of teamwork and collaborative um, spirit, and uh, there was no 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 competition anyway. So. My positive, my experience impacted in me positively by making me have a collaborative spirit, uh, a solution-focused mindset and goal-oriented mindset. It made me very, very passionate about the plight of persons with disabilities and how we can um, prefer solution. It also made me begin to think critically and strategically on how we people we can bring on, on board that can help us, you know, get this thing, this change we want to see going, kickstarting it. So it, it started building my skills because I wouldn't say I learned all these things from just socialization, but I learned it from being allies with these people. And my experience also helped in making me have a decisive spirit a strategic thinking angle, critical thinking, and teamwork and collaboration. Thank you. Yeah, actually, just like what she said, I did I can say my experience in life build my capacity and build the passion in me. And also being a member of different network on promoting as a different network, both disability and non-disability network has been a strong, uh, that's one of the strengths. It builds my capacity and uh, networking capacity to bring change into the life of women and persons with disability. Uh, part, and apart from women and persons with disability, bringing change to women and girls as a whole. Uh, I've been a strong advocate on um, issues of women and girls, and most especially, most especially children and girls, uh, women and girls with disability. And that's 
networking and collaborations with different organizations, networks, governments as due to my capacity and also the capacity group at any different capacity group, uh, partners, working with different partners, building our capacity and implementing programs has also brought a lot of change in my life. Uh, I think as a person with disability, I can say experience in life is the best teacher. It's, it's broadening your view, it creates an experience, it it's makes you very special and unique in you and in everybody's way because as a physically challenge, I uh, once as I'm also a baby, I'm also acting I'm being a consultant to parents of children with disability based on uh, my experience and the technique and the capacity building, have different capacity building and uh, capacity for working with children with disability. And you see I believe no matter what you know, if you are not in the shoe, you cannot know what post people in that shoe are going through. So, and it has been one of the best learning experience for me because it takes you back when you see children with disability crawling, you start thinking of when you, I start thinking of when I'm crawling on a, on stones, how hard it, it was for me then. So it makes me know how to help and how to advise the parents and how to give support to children with disability and educational support. You know, it has, I think it has helped me to bring a lot of changes into the lives of people, women and girls, especially children with disability lives. And I think we, uh, when you're talking about making a change, I can not, I cannot say I I say we as an organization, we with Disability Self Reliance Foundation. We have done a lot of programs for um, bringing quality change and attitudinal change from the state and we try to go into the hard to reach community and get a look at how we can support children with disability because when you look at most programs, most programs are designed at the central area where it is easy for the parents, most of the parents are educated, most of the parents are getting awareness, there is radio, radio is getting across to them and day-to-day -day activity is easier. But we try to go to the outreach community where the children are, where the parents are poor and uh, not educated and information are not getting to them. And that is a lesson. I think it changed my mindset. Every time we go to different community, the issues change. And it's a great experience for me. And bringing, changing the attitude, working with them to make uh, life easier for persons with disability is something I'm proud of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your responses, both of you. The final question then is just, what do you think is most important for listeners, activists, and people around the world to understand about being a woman with a disability? And what can an individual do to combat ableism and gender discrimination in their community? Okay, so um, 
most importantly for our listeners and activists, they should understand that being a woman with a disability is not a curse. Being a woman with a disability does not mean that that person cannot also get married or give birth like every other person, like every other woman. It shouldn't even be a defining factor because first human before her disability. Her disability does not define who she is or what she can do because it's a usual saying here that there is ability in disability. So the disability should not even be a defining factor because disability can, you know, it can happen at any time and nobody wants that. So we should always have an open mind and be accommodating to persons who are different from you, who you think have um, a different identity from what you are used to seeing. And then um, we should uh, stop encouraging ableism, like making sure that uh, persons without disabilities are favored over persons with disabilities. We are all humans, and that is why the human rights law is there. We are all humans, and we are all equal. Nobody is more equal than the other. The person disability meant to be accommodating. I'm not saying you should be pity, pity the person. No, because we've left the, the charity model. We are operating the human rights model. Also know that women with disability also are humans. And what makes you have rights is the fact that you are a human, just like every other person. So a woman with disability is not different from you and I, because disability may have come at an early stage or at a later stage but it still does not define who the person is. So we should learn to look beyond the disability and treat them and treat us as humans first. We should always come first before our disability. Thank you. Thank you, Kosen. I really, what to me, I be, there is always ability in disability. Being a person uh, with disability, you are a woman, a woman first before your disability. And I think being a uh, disability has, does not have a face. The face of disability is identified the person first before we uh, identify the person. Uh, we are all and treating a person with disability equally reduce the disability in them and bring out the ability in persons with disability. And um, there's something I always say, when you appreciate the ability, then the disability is there. When you see a person with disability and see the ability and appreciate and support the ability in persons with disability, then disability is zero. And when you create an enabling environment for a persons with disability to be independent and without relying, without any obstacle, without relying on anybody, then that persons with disabilities now 100% able because you give them independence to do things the way they want to do, the way they like to do, but without pity, but empathy. Parents, there's a call to all families, society that ability in disability, ability comes before the disability. 
treating persons with disability equal brings an appreciating disability in them make the disability zero. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. This was an incredible discussion, and I'm so glad that you both could be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you.